Thank you, Tyler. Hello, how's everyone doing today? Yeah, I love it. So good seeing you all here this morning. My name's Grace, and if we haven't met, I'm one of the group's pastors here. Excited to bring God's word today. Uh, we have a long way to go, though, before the sun goes down. So are you with me? Those of you who are new are like looking for the exit. Sun goes down. I'm joking, joking, okay? Uh, we'll get out of here by 3 p.m. Still joking, still joking. If you want to turn with me to Genesis 45, um, we're going to talk about, continue to talk about Joseph's story. And we're in a series about knowing your worth. How do you know your worth? God has actually given you your worth. It goes beyond what you can accomplish on your own. It goes beyond whether you can stay holy and live the right kind of life. And God is the one who wants to define your worth. So we've been journeying through the story of Joseph. Uh, today, uh, we're going to talk about the next phase, but as you're turning there, I want to share a story with you. I was in Ethiopia earlier this month for about a week and a half, and it was amazing what God is doing there. Uh, one of my highlights was I got to meet the little girl that my wife and I have been sponsoring through Compassion International. Never thought I'd be able to do that, but I remember praying over the kids as we had them up here about a year ago and picking her, never knowing that I'd get to meet her in, the, in person. It's just so powerful. But Compassion assigned a, a driver and then a translator to me to help me get there and communicate with her because she didn't speak any English. My translator's name was Ava, and she was in her 20s and just started sharing with me some of her passion and vision. And she worked for Compassion International part-time as a translator, uh, but she also worked for this organization called Hope for the Fatherless. And what they did was they went to orphanages and they worked really hard to get all the kids placed into a home. Her mission was to never have any kid have to go through the system without a home to live in. Additionally, they would come alongside of single moms who were just at their wit's end. They didn't know how to support their families and they'd help them financially, but also train them so that they would be able to support their family on their own eventually. Just amazing ministry. And she talked with a lot of passion and conviction and just a godly young woman. Well, went and I got to meet Makeda, the little girl that we sponsor. And on the way back home, um, I started asking her about her past. And I had this image in my mind that she'd grown up in the church and she had this great, supportive, loving family. And I was shocked though as I asked her, she says, no, my parents both died by the time I was six. I grew up in the orphanage system. I was never adopted. And I worked through all the way to high school, graduated out, went to college. And I had this idea that because she seemed so well-adjusted and excited that she had had this great upbringing. But what she showed me was she lived a life that was empowered by the Spirit of God, regardless of what her background had been. Regardless of how painful her life had been, she was choosing to make a difference. She was determined not to let any other kid experience the childhood that she had grown up in. And I love that because her story is a picture of what we're talking about today. Well, Joseph, just as a recap, we've, we've come a long way with his story. He was the son of, of a couple parents. They had 12 boys, all told. So you thought you had a big family. This was next level. Four different moms, so different culture, different time, right? Don't judge that one. Uh, but there's a lot of favoritism in the family. You can judge that one. That's okay. You thought your family was messed up. This family was really messed up. And so the father preferred Joseph because he came from his favorite wife and lavished his love on him. And Joseph had these dreams that didn't make things better because in them, God kept showing him, your son, your, your brothers and your father and mother are all going to bow down to you. 
And like any young kid would do, he shared it freely with his brothers, right? So they did the only rational thing that anyone can do. They threw him in a pit, got ready to kill him, and instead sold him into slavery, right? This is a dysfunctional family. This is the family that God chose to bring Jesus to the world, believe it or not. So take heart. There is hope. So as he's sold into slavery, he goes to Egypt. He ends up becoming a slave in a guy's household and falsely accused of a crime. So he gets thrown into prison where he spends roughly 24 years of his life. And as he's there, he's trying to take care of people well, and he's put in charge of the prison. Eventually, he does get out when he, he is able to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And the dream says there's going to be seven years of plenty in the land and then seven years of famine. And the famine's going to swallow up those years of plenty. So Joseph tells Pharaoh, hey, um, you, might, you might find a wise steward, wink, wink, right, who could take care of this, who could make sure that we're accumulating enough that the famine won't hit us. And Pharaoh's like, yeah, you're the guy. Go for it. So Joseph steps into this role in his calling. And notice his life has not been a bed of roses. His life has been really brutally painful and difficult. Well, our story picks up here in Genesis 42. And so the story we'll talk about is Genesis 42 through 45. So you're welcome. I'm not going to read it. I'm going to storytell it. But I want you to go home and read it. Okay, it's a really powerful story. So at this point, Joseph is second in charge of all of Egypt. And the famine hits. And back in the land of Canaan, where his father Jacob and his 11 brothers live, the famine is also severe. And so what happens is his father says, hey, I heard that in Egypt they have grain to spare. You guys go down. I'm going to keep Benjamin, my youngest, my favorite, my new favorite. See, nothing's changed, right? My new favorite son will stay here with me. You 10 go back. So they set off and they go to Egypt. And as they approach, here's Joseph and he looks down and he sees his brothers, these same guys who stripped him of his robe, threw him in a pit, and sold him to, as a slave to Egypt. Justice. He's got his moment, right? He can do whatever he wants with these guys. And what's even more beautiful, they don't even recognize him. They don't even know him because, first off, who's the last person they're expecting to be in charge of Egypt? And second, it's been, they saw him last time when he's like 16 years old. So they have no clue what's going on. Joseph does. And if you just read the story not knowing the end, it's hard for us who are familiar with the story because we think about what's coming. If you read it without knowing the end, it looks like Joseph's actually really conflicted about what to do because he could just kill him or put him in prison, make him live the life he had lived, or he could do something else. And it seems like he wavers back and forth. Well, what he does is he says, you guys are spies. You guys came to spy out the land. And they say, no, we're not. And he says, okay, well, tell me about your family. And they told him about their father, which is his father, and their brother, Benjamin, who's Joseph's full blood brother. And he says, okay, tell you what, I'm going to take one of you and put you in prison. The rest of you go back and come back with your younger brother. If you do that, I'll let him free and I'll let you go. But you can take your grain and you can go home. So they do. And then he puts their silver back in their sacks and they get home and they're freaked out. They're like, we paid, we paid this guy. What happened? Well, they're pretty sure that their brother Simeon is dead at this point because they can't go back. It looks like they just robbed Pharaoh's secondhand man. So what they do is they bide their time. Jacob kind of mourns Simeon. He's sure he's gone. And two years into the famine, they're out of food again. 
And Jacob says, hey, you guys should go back to Egypt. And they're like, did you not listen to us? If we go back there without Benjamin, it's going to be a problem. We're not going to get anything. And he's like, no, you can't take Benjamin. And they fight about it. And finally, he relents. And so the 10 brothers go back again and come before Joseph. And Joseph invites him into his house and just is fully lavishing his affection on Benjamin. And they have no clue why. He even does something funny and seats them in order of birth around the table. Like, wink, wink, right, nod. Like, I know what's going on here. They still don't know who he is, though. And what he does is he meets his brother, really loves his brother Benjamin, wants to keep him. So he sends him back, but he puts their silver back in again, and then his silver cup in Benjamin's bag. And he sends some guards after them to say, hey, one of you robbed us. They say, none of us robbed you. Well, sure enough, they find the cup in Benjamin's bag, and they take them all back. And the brothers are just distraught. They say, we can't go back without him. Our father will die if, if he's not with us. And Joseph says, ah, you know, what's that to me? And finally, Reuben, one of the brothers, takes him aside and says, please, our father's already lost one son. He doesn't know he's talking to him, right? He's already lost one son. If Benjamin doesn't go back, it'll bring our father's gray head down to the grave in sorrow. Well, this is the last straw for Joseph, and he just starts openly weeping, and he sends the servants out. And I want to pick up in Genesis 45 and read kind of the the reveal. Genesis 45, 4 through 7. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Can you imagine the sheer terror of of those guys in that moment? Like, surprise, what a reveal. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Talk about perspective. Not only that, I want to read you kind of the last thing in Genesis chapter 50. So the family moves to Egypt, and Jacob dies, right? And Joseph's brothers have a moment of panic. Here's, here's what it says. This is Genesis 50, 15 and following. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? They're afraid because dad's gone. Joseph's now going to take it all out on us. Dad was the one stopgap. So they sent word to Joseph, and this is clever, saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Talk about next level forgiveness. He demanded nothing from them. He said, I will take care of you. This is empowerment by the Spirit of God. 
Joseph walked in it. And think about this. This is a guy who went from being in prison to now he's a second in command of Israel. And Joseph never forgot the story and the call of God on his life to the point where God used him, number one, to save Egypt. The famine went through the land and they were fine because of Joseph's wise, wise stewardship. Second off, saved the world because the famine hit the whole known world at that time. And because of what he did, Egypt was able to provide and sell grain to people who were starving all over the world. Third, he saved his family. They were all going to die without it. And by the way, this is the family that Jesus descended through. He descended through Reuben, or sorry, Judah, the son Judah. And then he saved the story of God. Everything in here, God had him positioned at the right place in the right time. That's why he said, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. God was the one in charge, not you bunch of screw-ups, right? He was the one who knew what was going on. See, Joseph lived this empowered life. And that reminds me a lot of my story too, because it's interesting that I'm up here right now with this microphone talking to you because I'm the last person you would expect to be here. I am, number one, an excessive introvert. Any fellow introverts in there? I know you're too nervous to raise your hands, right? Yeah. Introvert, for me, I love all y'all, but you guys drain me, okay? Like, I go home depleted at the end of the day in a really profound way, right? Uh, And yet, God has put me in this role where my job is to care for you and love you and be close to you, right? doesn't make sense for me to be the one. Another thing is, as I'm sitting in my chair, before I'm going to come up and speak here, I have like this sense of dread. I have a, a stage fright. As soon as my foot hits the stage, I'm fine. But as long as I'm right there, I'm just, my heart's palpitating, and, and it's difficult. I'm not the guy you want to give a microphone and put up here. Richie is a brave man, okay, that he put me here. I'm also awkward. If you've known me, spent any time with me, I am. I don't always know how to string together a sentence uh, effectively. I don't even know how to interact with people like a normal human being. It's great. This is the guy that God has chosen to put in this pastoral role here. I also care too much about what people think of me, right? Uh, And this is something I've struggled with my whole life. And that's a sliding scale because you can never win that game because there's always going to be people who don't like what you're saying or doing. There's always going to be people who who do. So let's stick a microphone in his hand and put him up front so everyone can analyze what he's saying, right? This is a bad idea, it seems like. I don't know why I'm here, right? This is a very strange, strange way to go. I also don't like conflict, um, not at all, but a lot of my role is helping people navigate conflict. Go figure, right? Also, I don't know, has anyone been in relationship with someone before? Like at all? Um, Have you ever experienced conflict in that relationship? Yeah. I'm in lots of relationships with a lot of people. This doesn't make sense for me to be here right now. But here's the cool thing about God's empowerment is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that I don't have what it takes. It doesn't matter that I'm weak, that I'm insecure. None of that matters because the whole point of us being here right now isn't that we're awesome. It's that God is awesome. And what he wants to do is amazing. He's just looking for people to be part of that. And really, that's what Joseph is showing us. So I want to talk about a few things that Joseph does that helps us walk in empowerment. Number one, we have to embrace that empowerment. We have to embrace it. It's not something that is just going to happen. We actually have to hunger for it. God created the world in six days. And at the very beginning of Genesis 1, his spirit is hovering over this chaotic nothingness. 
One of my teachers talks about it like if you put nothing in a blender and hit whip. That's what it was at that time, right? Chaos and nothingness. And God spoke order into the chaos. He spoke life. He breathed hope and purpose into it all. God specializes in that. So anyone experiencing any chaos here? God's got you covered because he's good at that. But here's the cool thing. Well, the first part isn't cool. We said, no, we don't want to do it, right? We poked it, and then it all fell apart because we chose to sin and do things our own way. But then God said, look, I'm still on plan A here, and plan A is I want to do this with you. I want to partner with you to bring order out of the chaos of your world. That's how God's always worked. That's why he picked such a dysfunctional family as Jacob's, because it's clear. It's clear from this family that God was at work. There's no way they could have done that stuff. They can't even get along with each other, right? God wants to partner with you and with me. Joseph's story, he understood that. He recognized that God wanted that partnership, and he never gave up. He never lost sight of it his entire life. And at the end, he was ready. He was ready for that moment God had been preparing him for for 40 years to step into it. Joseph embraced the empowerment. Will we embrace it? And here's the challenge to that. Many of you out here are probably thinking, man, my life is crazy. I have kids, I have work, maybe you own your own business. You have injuries, you have illnesses, you have pain, you have loss, you've lost people, there's trauma in your life, any of these things. There's distractions. All of this is happening. You're saying, Grayson, you're asking me to walk empowered? Have you seen my life? And then Joseph says, well, have you seen mine? Right? I, Joseph could do it. He could do it despite all of those things. But what happens so often for us is we get so caught up in all of this, which is real and painful and difficult, but we get so caught up in it that all of a sudden our eyes are focused on us. There's a world out there who's looking at us, and what they see in how we live our lives is what we believe God is. Which for some of you are like, yes, I'm so glad I'm representing Jesus well. For some of you are like, yeah, I don't know about that. But the world is going to get an image of who you believe your God to be based on how you live your life. And Joseph says, then I'm going to live my life empowered. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to back down because life is difficult. I'm going to believe that God still wants to do a thing through me and in me. That's our God. And Joseph said, I'm not just going to dip my toe in, right? My, my fear is that many of us will spend all of our life just dipping our toe in trying to figure if the water's the right temperature for us. Joseph says, God, I'm going to cannonball in. I'm all in with you. That's what he's calling us to do today, not tomorrow, not next week, not when our schedules change, because they're never going to slow down. I don't know if you've been alive for very long, right? Things are not getting easier. It's just going to get more difficult. Cannonball in right now. Embrace the empowerment. God wants to give his spirit. He has given his spirit to all of you who believe. He wants to... Take his spirit and live through you. Live out the gospel. Are you ready? Embrace that empowerment. A second thing I see Joseph do is he embraces God's mission. And God has a mission. For Joseph and his family, it was very specific. He said, you are going to be greatly blessed so that you can be a blessing to all nations. Well, did Joseph do that or not? Yeah, he saved the world. He was a blessing, literal blessing to all these different nations. Joseph never lost sight of the bigger call of God on his life. Did you know that you and I also have a role, a mission that God has called us into? 
I want to read from 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Paul's going to talk about this mission. Uh, he says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone in here that apply to? Okay, so for the eight of us, this is going to apply for the rest of you. You can just kind of relax and chill. Uh, therefore, if anyone, hopefully most of us, are in Christ, right? If we're in Christ, a new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Jesus wants to do something new in you and in me. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Anyone excited about that? We don't have to bear the penalty of what we did. God reconciled. He brought us close to him. And he is committed to us. Here's the mission the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. That's Jesus. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. That's how much your God loves you. And that's how badly he wants to partner with you. He says, look, there's this awesome story of reconciliation, of being right with me, that I have written in the person of Jesus Christ, and I'm putting it in your hands. I'm entrusting you, I'm empowering you to take it to your world, to shine light in the darkness, to partner with me to bring order out of chaos. Are you in? Are you going to do this with me? You're my ambassadors. Wherever you go, you're able to show people who I am. That's the kind of empowerment that God has given us. The other part of his mission is, yes, sharing this story of reconciliation, the gospel with people who don't know him. The other part of it is, Jesus says, hey, look, as you're going, make disciples of all nations. It involves helping people grow toward maturity in Christ, those who have not been following him as long as you and I have. That's part of the mission. That's for everyone. That's not just for me. It's not for the super Christians out there. That's for everyone who calls Jesus Lord. Make disciples. Help them grow toward maturity. It's a powerful call. And some of you are feeling right now, ooh, I, I can't do that. Which, by the way, just qualifies you to do it. Because Jesus wants to use that weakness, just like he uses my weakness. He wants to shine through, and he wants to use you. Jesus has put you and me on a mission. And I think about this mission, uh, and I, I want to share with you, there's a picture that's going to come up of some of the guys in Ethiopia I met. On the far right there is Kibobo. That's a great name, right? Kibobo. He's the church planner that we support as a church to go and do this. The guy next to him, between him and me, is Deme. He's the head of the elder board there. And Deme was telling me the story of this church. We, planted, we helped plant it in a valley called Chereza. And in that valley are about 180,000 people and only four that they know of are Christian. The rest of them are predominantly Muslim or Satanist, and by Satanist, they practice witchcraft, hallucinogenic drugs that they get on, channeling spirits, all this sort of stuff. A very dark place for the gospel to go. But Deme and his three other people, they started to get together and pray and fast. And they said, God, we believe that you're not done with Teresa. We believe that you want to do a work, a miraculous work here. God, please send someone to plant a church. Please send someone to do the work of the gospel to help us grow. And so they pray and pray, and about a month in, someone stands up and says, I just got a message from God. He said he's going to do it, and he's going to bring the help of foreigners to do it. Well, that week, Kibobo 
we had just talked to him, and he had talked about planning a church, and we said, we'll support you. We will pay your salary if you're willing to take a step of faith. He's like, yeah, I'm going to this place called Chereza, and I don't, I don't know what it's going to look like. It's this really dark place. Well, he found Deme pretty much day one. He's like, hey, this is going to sound funny, but God sent me to plant a church here, and I don't know if you know anyone who would be interested in that. And by the way, Got a bunch of crazy American foreigners who are back in this adventure, right? How's that for cool? See, Kibobo, Deme, they were excited about the gospel. They were not going to back down, and they were going to go to the heart of darkness where there's constant attacks on them. Those four people meeting in that house are now over 120 people. God is doing a miraculous work right in the middle of all of that. See, they took Jesus' mission seriously, and that might sound big for them, but Kibo is just a normal guy. There's nothing special to set him apart, just like there's nothing special about me to set me apart, just like there's nothing special about you to set you apart. God has called you to your neighborhood, to your work, to your family, to be light in the darkness. He has empowered you to be part of his mission. Are you in? Will you be part of that mission? Seek his kingdom first, he says. Seek my kingdom first. And I'm going to give you all the stuff that you're worried about, provision and clothes and food. Seek my kingdom first, and I'll take care of the rest. But you got to seek me first. got to seek my mission. The third thing that Joseph shows us is how to embrace the cost of empowerment. This is where it gets challenging, because there is a cost that goes with it and a really steep one. Like I mentioned, a lot of you have painful, difficult circumstances in your life that threaten to block you from being part of what God's trying to do in the world. And a lot of you say, God, as soon as you change this, as soon as you give me a different path to walk, I'm in. Did you know that Jesus kind of sort of prayed that same prayer? Except he did it the right way. As he's in the garden, before he's about to go to be crucified, he says, Father, please, if possible, remove this cup from me. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross and die. Not even God wanted to do that. He says, please take it from me, but not as I will, as you will. See, what Jesus asked was, hey, it would be great if you changed the path. But what he really asked was, God, would you give me the feet to walk the path? Don't change the path. Give me the feet to walk it. And that's the truth of empowerment. If you're going to wait until your life slows down, it's not happening. If you're going to wait until there's no pain, no more suffering, you're going to be waiting until Jesus returns because that's when he promised to do it. Right now is the time. This is the place to walk in the fullness of God's spirit, to be empowered, to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. Jesus shares, shares a sentiment with his disciples that has been probably the most profound impact of any verse of my life. And this is Luke 9.23. As he's talking to them, he says to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. What does it mean to deny yourself? It means you are not giving yourself what you want. That sounds pretty anti-American, right? No American dream, no big mansion, Don't give yourself what you want. Allow God to give you what he wants. Allow him to work it through you. You have to say no to a lot of things you really want because, by the way, God knows what's best for you. He's going to fill you with hope and joy and peace and purpose and fulfillment like you can't get if you lead your own life. If you're seeking those things for yourself, it's never going to happen. 
you run after God with everything you have, he's gonna bring it all in that path. Deny yourselves. He says, take up your cross. And a lot of people took this to mean you wear a cross necklace, which is great. Do that, I love it. Just know you're wearing an electric chair around your neck. This is a, an instrument of brutal torture and execution. When he says, take up your cross, he's saying, die to yourself, die. I wanna work through you. I need you to die to what you want. Paul says it later, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul got it. It's not me, but you. God, I want you to live through me. All my insecurities, all my weaknesses, I want you to use them and shine through those cracks so that when someone looks at me, they'll say, boy, that's definitely not Grayson. That's something else, and I want to know what's going on in that guy's life. And he says it's got to be daily. This isn't a Sunday morning thing. In fact, the more that I have followed Jesus, the more I've realized it's not just daily. It's like a moment-by-moment -moment thing. There's so much to distract me. But God wants us to embrace this empowerment by recognizing there is a cost, but the cost is worth it. Me not being in charge of my life is probably the best thing that's ever happened to me even though I desperately wanted it, and I really still want it in a lot of ways. God being in charge is so much better. God is up to bigger things than making you and me comfortable by keeping us in those comfort zones. God wants to reach the world, and he wants to take you on the adventure of your life. That's the empowerment that he wants us to experience. And the reality is, the world is waiting for this. The world is waiting for a group of people who is able to give them real hope, who's able to show them what it really looks like for Jesus to live in them and to move and speak and teach and heal. The world's just waiting for that. God changed the world through a group of 12 guys, most of them pubescent teenagers, right? Who said, yes, I'm gonna do it your way. That's the disciples, by the way, in case you're confused about that. God can and will change the world through you too. And the question he's asking is, will you open yourself up? Will you cannonball in and not and quit dabbling, quit dabbling in me and saying, hey, I'll take a little bit, I'll give you an inch. He says, I want the whole thing. Will you trust me? Because I, he is worthy of the whole thing and nothing less. Will we give ourselves fully to God? It's gonna be a lifelong process, but it's gonna be a powerful one. In a moment here, um, we're gonna sing another song. Some of you in the room, your next step is you have never chosen to follow Jesus in your life. We're gonna be baptizing someone in just a few minutes who's making that decision. That's that first decision to say yes to Jesus and baptism is the sign of obedience. If that's you and you know that you need to experience Jesus, we have a team in the back. They're gonna equip you with short, short shirts, towels, everything you need to do that. For the rest of us though, we're gonna sing the song that we just sang yesterday, today, and forever. And what I wanna do is we're gonna start with the bridge, but I wanna highlight the words to you. And what I want from you is only sing them if you mean them, okay? Only sing it if you mean it. Listen to this, this bridge. Jesus, Jesus, the one I can count on. The one thing I'm sure of. Jesus, Jesus, the rock that I stand on. I stake my life on you. Okay, can we sing that today, family? Yeah. Jesus, thank you so much that you have empowered us by your spirit. You're not holding back. You're not saying, ah, oh, man, 
I don't know about that person. I don't know about that man. I don't know about that woman. But you're saying, I want you with me. I want you to live a full life. God, thank you that you didn't choose us as a concession saying, well, I guess I said everyone can get in. No, you chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in your sight. And you've given us everything we need to live this life. God, break through any barriers and obstacles in our hearts and our minds that prevent us from this full relationship with you. God, we give you ourselves because you're worthy of it all. We love you, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'd stand, we'll sing a song.